Well, I'm going to tell you, um, I'm in about, I don't even know how many churches a year, but I am on the road about three or 4,000 miles a month, and I go a lot of places, and I have not felt this at home in a long time. And it's actually got me emotional this morning. So the songs, guys, you guys, you got some rock stars, some worship leaders, give it up for them. I am so thankful for them this morning. Um, we, it, it gets us ready, doesn't it? I mean, it prepares us. Um, there is one song, though, that I like to lead every time I get up. Uh, it's called the Victory Chant, and it, it sets my mind right before what I want to talk about. So if you'll sing this with me, you don't need the words, because I'm going to start it, and you're going to repeat after me, okay? Hail Jesus, you're my King, your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days, you're perfect in all your ways, hail Jesus, you're my Lord, I will obey your word, I want to see your kingdom come, not my will but yours be done. Glory, glory to the Lamb, you take me by the hand, you lead me to the promised land, glory, glory to the Lamb, singing hail, hail, Lion of Judah, how powerful you are, singing hail, hail, Lion of Judah, how wonderful you are, how wonderful you are, how wonderful you are, amen, right, yeah, God is good, God is good, all the time, God is good. It's going to be hard for me to do this and this, but I'll do my best, okay? All right. So I'm in a lot of places, and I go places where I get to meet family that I'm already related to. You're my brothers and sisters, and it makes this, I call it a job. It's not really a job. It makes what I do extremely enjoyable, and I am blessed to be here. Um, I'm blessed to be here because I get to share good news with you this morning, and the good news is that our God is alive and he is well and he is active and he is living and he is coming to us and he's saying are you coming are you going to be with me on this journey so often we obviously not here (laughs) but so often we get so content and we get so I hate to say complacent but we find ourselves just enjoying the grace of God but then we don't act on it and I'm going to tell you this morning that it is good news that our God is engaged and, and holding our hand and saying, come with me. I'm not doing this on my own. I have designed you to do this with me. Now, before I get totally started this morning, I totally forgot I actually have a clicker. Is it on? There we go. Okay. Before I get totally going this morning, um, you may be tempted to say whenever we get done this morning to say, oh, what a great ministry EEM is. And if you say that, then I've missed the mark. Because I, this is not about EEM. 
What I hope you say when we get done this morning is, what a mighty God we serve. So often a preacher will get up and he does a good job. Now he'll get up and he'll tell you what God used to do. He'll take you through scripture from way back when and say, look at what God used to do. This morning, I'm going to show you what God's doing right now. He is living and active and, and he is engaging us. And, and, you know, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite passages. Our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And we usually stop there, but he goes on. It says, according to his power that is at work, where? within us that's right our god is doing not not merely able but he is doing more than we could ask or imagine and he has invited us to walk hand in hand with him to change lives and to bring people to him now no matter where i travel across the globe and and i only go to europe once a year i go for two weeks once a year to visit the teams on the ground who have been requesting bibles and bible-based materials Uh, This year I was in Croatia and Slovenia, and I found a nice piece of property I want to buy, but that's another story. Um, You can get, this is crazy, a 400-year-old building for 50,000 American dollars in Varazdin, Croatia, right off the main square in this community that has gelato shops, and and all these, and I just focused on that because that was the best part, but um, you see, I don't like to eat at all. And by the way, I found out where we're going for lunch today, and I'm a meditarian, so so Smoky Bones is where we're headed, and I'm really excited. But anyway, I'll get focused this morning. Um, but, wow, I really digressed, didn't I? Um, so as, as we go across Eastern Europe and, and other places, I'm seeing that everyone desires one thing, and it's no different than what we desire here. Everyone wants freedom. Everyone wants freedom in some form or fashion. For us, we think of, of freedom in American terms. Okay, when I think of freedom, I think of the American flag and Statue of Liberty. Um, for others in this room, you may, you may think of other things. I, I don't know, maybe you have a cousin who's in jail and you think freedom in a totally different way. But, but we all think of freedom in some, some term, and, and it's, all, it's, it's very important to all of us. We all desire freedom in some way. And it's no different if you go back in time. If you think about when Noah and his family were engaged by God and, and God said, go out and get as many people as you can to get on this big boat because you're going to build this big boat that's going to save mankind. And of course, no one came but Noah and his family. But Noah and his family wanted to be saved from the flood, from the devastation that was coming. They, they desired this freedom from this ultimate destruction, from this ultimate worldwide punishment. The story of Abraham and Isaac. I would probably guess that Isaac didn't want to be on the altar. He probably desired freedom from this sacrifice. And you know that his dad desired it. And actually, Abraham knew that God could bring his son back to life. And he trusted God. But God's plan was different. God's plan wasn't to bring Isaac back to life. It was to save him from death. It was to keep him from dying by offering another sacrifice, a better sacrifice. A little bit of imagery there, isn't it? And so... The freedom there is desired as well. And then you have Saul of Tarsus, who is out persecuting Christians, and he's, he's truly trying to destroy the faith because he believes that they're all a bunch of blasphemers. He believes that, that this Jesus is, uh, he, there's no way he's the, the Messiah that has been talked about. And so Saul is out taking down Christians. And in his unbelief, He doesn't even realize that he needs to be freed. 
And suddenly Jesus blinds him on the road to Damascus. And here we have Saul who becomes Paul. And he comes to know the Christ. And he recognizes the freedom that he must have. So no matter who you are, Noah, Abraham, or or Saul, freedom is waiting. What is this? Berlin Wall. So I went to a church not too long ago. And I said, what is this? Man, it was crickets. And then a, a small child said, that's the Berlin Wall. And I'm like, you were homeschooled. Um, but what about freedom today? What about freedom today? Do we, do we truly desire freedom? Is it available for us? I'm going to tell you right now, for those who are in Eastern Europe, they know that freedom is available. And they see it in a little bit different way today than they did in 1961. This is back when we got started. We got started when the Iron Curtain went up. We started as a smuggling operation, smuggling Bibles behind the wall. Um, back then, it was taking Bibles and putting them in your coats and your cowboy hats and in your boots. It was called the Marlboro Bible, the size of a cigarette pack. I actually have some copies of those at my house. We give out to donors who, who put us in their, um, in their estate plan. And we have this neat little kit that show, has the actual Marlboro Bible they get to keep with them. And, you know, God opened doors back then, but it was in a different way. We, one of our, our founders, Gwen Hensley, he was actually in a, uh, outside of one of the gates outside of the wall, and he was standing there watching as all these cars would go through, and they would stop these cars. And the reason he was watching is he was looking for a way to get Bibles in in bulk. He wanted to get more Bibles in, more effectively, more efficiently, because taking them in on their persons, you know, you get to be patted down. Of course, they feel like cigarette packs, and so they think they're smuggling cigarettes behind the wall, and they leave you alone. But that wasn't enough. And so he sees these, car, these cars pull up and, and they pop the hood and they open the trunk and they run dogs around and they run mirrors around and they're looking for contraband, looking for two things in particular, guns and Bibles, because both create an opportunity for revolution. And they didn't want that in their country. And so Gwen is a little bit frustrated because he knows that, that every car gets checked. And then he sees a black Chevrolet Impala and it drives up. It's got tinted windows. It's got two American flags on the front. And as it drives up, they just wave it right on through. It's an American ambassador's car coming in to offer some concession to the local government official. They're not going to stop that car. Gwen, being the resourceful man that he was, went out and bought a black Chevrolet Impala, tinted the windows, and put two American flags on the front. He loaded that, he loaded that sucker up with Bibles front to back, top to bottom, with the hopes that he would not get stopped. And as he drove up to that gate, they waved him right on through. That's just one story of a thousand. Where you you look for the God opportunity. The God opportunity to bring freedom. And God shows the way. Nowadays, we don't smuggle through Impalas anymore. Um, We actually provide Bibles in 22 countries. 22 languages in 30 countries across Eastern Europe. And actually and beyond. We're in Kazakhstan, which is right next to China. Uh, God has opened doors in ways that we never would have expected. And where back then it was providing by the tens and the hundreds, and now this year we're on track for providing 1.2 million Bibles into the hands of those who are seeking. People are requesting. We don't just go out and just throw the Bible. People, ministries, public schools, and other, th- other areas, they come to us and say, we need 10,000 for this project as we're trying to serve these Roma children who are gypsies. We're trying to serve these kids who can't read, and we're going to teach them how to read using the Bible. We need 50,000 for the public schools in Slovenia as, 
as we are, are taking our first through fourth graders and using the Bible to teach character to our kids. And those kids take those Bibles home and they read it with their parents. I want to give you some data here. I'm, usually I have a long span of data. I'm not killing you with data this morning, but I will give you a little bit because there's some numbers people in here. In 2011, our annual books produced 189,542. 2018, we were at 1,057,803. Folks, we have more than we can handle, and this is a first for us. We've always been able to say, yes, we will do it. God's provided. He will continue to provide. And we're saying that this year for the most part, but for the first time, we've had to say, wait, because we have so many people requesting. We have easily have $7 million worth of, of, of Bibles for this year, 2019, that we could, we could do if we had the money. Uh, our goal is $5.85 million, and you guys are, are contrib- have already contributed to that, you, I, I'm, or, or I know you've already taken up that, that collection, and I thank you for that. We couldn't do it without people like you. I'm just telling you, though, the, the need is great, and God is opening the doors, and, and so, yeah, here's the better numbers. $1.4 million worth of requests is what we have for this year. And, um, you know, for us, it wouldn't be fiscally responsible to go out and say to all of our donors, say, hey, by the way, we're going up by this huge percentage this year, so we really need you to give about three times what you gave last year. It would kill us, and it would, be, it would frustrate you. And so we have actually had to put some um, on, on hold. And so our problem is not that we have all these Bibles and nobody wants them. Our problem is keeping up because requests are up and that should make you very happy because that makes us very happy that excites us it means i'll always have a job but it it, even more importantly than that it means that we exist with a purpose there's a reason why eem does what it does and it's exciting to us because it shows that people desire this freedom in christ in ways that maybe we never fully understood how many here know about the public schools in Ukraine? We've talked about before. Okay, yeah. So it's been talked about before. Jerry Starling is the lovely gentleman who used to come and speak to you in the past. And uh, Jerry is a retired guy in Florida now. And so I guess you're in Florida too. I forget we're in Florida, aren't we? Um, so Jerry's not far from here, actually. But anyway, I, I am now covering the Southeast. And last time Jerry came, he may have mentioned to you that since 2008... God has opened the doors for public schools to be in, um, for the Bibles to be in public schools in Ukraine. Uh, At this point, we have filled three quarters of the public schools in Ukraine with Bibles and character training materials. So you can be thankful that what you helped begin 11 years ago is continuing. And uh, now in, in the eastern side of Ukraine, where the warring has been taking place since 2014, we lost all of that territory. And so all the Bibles we had over there are gone. But now we have finally been asked to bring some back in. So, so those opportunities are continuing. This is Lilia Harinovich. She's the education minister in Ukraine. And she is really the reason why we've had such success. God has used her to bring such success to this public school opportunity in Ukraine. Now, years ago, when the president of Ukraine found out that Bibles were being placed in his public schools, he, he didn't know that it was going on. It was being done behind, not behind his back, but without his knowledge. 
And it started in two areas in particular. And as they provided Bibles, they noticed that academic performance was going up. And discipline issues were going down. Heaven forbid, right? Yeah, I mean... And, and, and so he didn't know why, why that was happening. He saw the metrics. He saw these two regions where things were very positive and the rest where everything was so, so negative. And he said, what's, what's changed here? And, of course, Lily Harinovich said, well, what's changed is we're using the Bible to teach character to our kids in these regions. And he said, well, then we need the Bible in all of our schools. And so, thankfully, we have filled three-quarters of the public schools in Ukraine, And she actually says, which is such a blessing for us, EEM is a great partner in the work of changing the moral foundation of our country. We see freedom in Christ continuing to spread. And Bibles in schools continues not only in Ukraine, but also in Romania, Croatia, Serbia, the Czech Republic, Russia, Kazakhstan, Belarus, and Hungary. That's one side of the freedom I wanted to talk about this morning. The other side of my message today is about freedom, I think, in its purest form. These are refugees, Muslim refugees that our mighty God has opened the door to, to be able to come into Eastern Europe, or into Europe, excuse me, because they're leaving something so devastating behind. I'll let you roll through the pictures here. In Greece... There are Christians who are heeding the call of God. They're heeding the call of God by serving an underserved population of people who are trying to escape a tragedy so devastating that they fear for their lives, and they're being broken by their own people of faith. You've got a Muslim population that they, uh, and it's Afghans, Afghans, it's Iraqis, it's Iranians, uh, it's Syrians, you name it, they're coming across the Aegean Sea and they're heading into Greece because their own countrymen are coming in and they're taking their livelihoods. I, I mentioned last night to Bert and, and his family that we have seen one guy in particular, Mahdi. Mahdi was our translator last year. He's about yay tall. Okay, he's actually about yay tall, but he felt about yay tall. Um, and a cute guy, one eyebrow. I mean, Adorable and just the sweetest spirit. He wasn't a Christian when we met him. He was our translator. And as we talked to him, he spoke English very well. And I, I asked him, Tell me your story. Why are you here? He said, Well, I was in Afghanistan and ISIS came in and they, they took my livelihood, they took my sheep. And so I started making tents. And then they came in and they took my tents. And so he told me some other business that he started, and he said, then they came in, and they tried to take my wife and my children. He said, I had to escape. I couldn't stay here. And so I came across on one of these boats, just like this, that you're seeing up on the screen. And as I came across, and I came into Greece, I thought, I can go into Greece. I can make my way up into Germany. I can get a job. And this is the story that we hear over and over and over. And And he got blockaded into Greece because no one else would open the borders to let them in. God created a refugee opportunity that we never would have expected. And so as they crash onto the shores of Greece, you've got Christians who are giving them food and water and beds 
and clothing and taking care of their physical needs and showing them the love of Christ, they're not talking about Muhammad. They're not talking about how silly the, the, the Muslim faith is. They're showing them the love of Christ. And the Muslims are asking, why are you doing this? And I believe these Christians are living out Matthew 25. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And so when they say, why are you doing this? You're supposed to hate us. We were taught that you hate us. They say, well, we do this because Jesus teaches us to do this. And they say, well, tell us about Jesus. We know he's a prophet. Boom. Got them hooked. And then they're like, we don't have Bibles in Arabic and Farsi. <laughs> and we're like, neither do we. <laughs> but, but we will. As of, we're about four and a half years in now, we're well over 250,000 Bibles in Arabic and Farsi to the Muslim refugee population in Greece. And they are coming to know Jesus left and right, folks. And they are coming to Christ. There are baptisms, last year alone, 600 baptisms. And now there's a million refugees in Greece, so that's just a small piece of the puzzle. Some of these people you'll see on pic in picture form here, you'll see that they're going back into their home countries and they're working in the underground churches. <clears throat> this is Ahmed. He and his wife are from Iran, or Afghanistan, excuse me. Uh, this is Hamid from Iran. He is pointing out his favorite passage, which is 1 John 4, God is love. He says, I have learned that God is love. Jesus is love. I did not know that. And I now know that because I read it in my Bible and because the followers of Jesus have demonstrated that love. Muslims are coming to Christ because of the love that is shown through his disciples. This is Fatima. She's from Syria and, and uh, she was recently baptized. And this is Benuz and her daughter Asal. Benuz and Asal are from... Um, they're from Iran. I had to look here and make sure. I'd forgotten. They're from Iran. They have just... Uh, and the last time I saw Benuz, she... Uh, she did, I'm sorry. Got ahead of myself here. She did not have the covering anymore. She actually had her hair colored and cut. And I said, Benuz, your hair. She goes, freedom. <laughs> it was beautiful. She has come to study and teach her husband. And he is a disciple. And they have gone back to be with their family and to work in the underground church in Iran. And folks, God is shaking their foundations. And we get to play a part. This pasty white guy isn't going to study with a bunch of Muslim refugees for fear of, of my safety because they're not going to listen to some gringo American who's coming over trying to be some rock star. That's not my call. But I'm going to tell you what, when you meet guys like... Masood, Masood and his story, you'll hear his story in just a second. Masood is teaching his fellow Muslim refugee. And no longer is he a Muslim himself. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. When I decided to come to Europe, my plan and my destination was uh, clear. I said, okay, I'm going to Germany, then I will go for the war, uh, for, for better. And this is the moment they reach Europe and suppose security. Our boat was broken and all of us felt the same. I lost my son. Then I asked to God, 
myself. Just I need you right now. So praise the God. He saved life. He prepared my heart. There I was broken. When I come here, I heard about the ministries. My friends or uh, went. I was thinking Christianity or Shia, like animals. So it's, it's impossible they can love us. <laughs> then they introduced the Bible. It's completely different. I was prayer, prayer, prayer. Because we have in Quran, if you reject the Islam, you, you should be die. I didn't sleep three days. Then I say, okay, if I reject Jesus, I reject my life. Then I decide to come to face and follow Jesus. Many things is different and change in my life. I think God chose me to be here to sharing His word and His life and His salvations. Now my vision is uh, for Afghanistan. Sometime I review my life and uh, I can uh, see. Uh, very clear how God uh, used the situations to prepare my heart. Praise God, we have uh, Bible in Farsi here. That's big, big, uh, yeah, bless. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I know we're running short on time, so I'll be as quick as I can to wrap this up. Right here. What does this look like to you? Dinner. Say again? Dinner. Dinner? Well, no, not quite. Fellowship? Could it be a Bible study, maybe? Yeah, I mean, this is what this is. It's a Bible study. People sitting around a table studying God's Word. There's something unique about this picture, but I'll get there in a second. On the, uh, in this picture on your left is Bart Rabinsky. Bart is our Vice President of European Operations. He's the guy that helps to gather the requests and to handle the distribution processes and all of that. On the far right, you see Masood, and in the middle is Yasser. And uh, Yasser and Masood were off talking one time, and Bart there was noticing they were cutting it up, having a good time. He goes over, he goes, you guys are both from Afghanistan. You were friends there, weren't you? And they start laughing and said, no, he was Sunni, I was, I was Shiite, and we were enemies. But, but now we're brothers in Jesus Christ. Folks, that's two cultures who've been at war for 1,400 years sitting across the table from each other. And whether it's President Obama or President Trump, you don't see them in the middle of this table. Whether it's some peace treaty or some government official, they're not in the middle of this table. What's in the middle of this table? Jesus Christ is in the middle of this table in the Word of God. The only way to bring people together is through the love of Jesus Christ. And so here we see people who are, are dire enemies. Their entire cultures have been designed to be against each other. And here they are sitting across the table from one another, studying about the one who can bring them together, Jesus the Christ. Folks, God is tearing down walls. He's tearing down walls between Muslims and himself, between Christians and Muslims, between Muslims and other Muslims. And it's because we serve a mighty God that this can take place. Because of the power of his ability in our lives and his working through us. And so we see, again, this refugee crisis becoming a refugee opportunity. Jesus, 
When he first started his ministry, he went to the synagogue in his hometown, and he picked up the scroll, and he read from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because, four things, folks, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to send, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Do you think that people behind this wall were captive and held prisoner and were in darkness? Absolutely. They meet this mission statement. What about the refugee? Do you think the refugee meets this mission statement of Jesus? Brokenhearted and, and captive and heavy laden. And folks, because of all of this brokenness, the soil over there is so ready. I wish it were ready here, but it's not. We haven't been broken yet. And I hate to say that out loud, but you're going to ask me afterwards. I, if I had a nickel for every time someone came up and said, I wish we were doing that here. Folks, we're not ready. We're not ready. We have it too easy. They've been broken for 70 plus years in Eastern Europe. And, and the Muslim culture has been breaking them down for generations. They're ready for the word of God. And so we feel blessed because... This is our reminder that we don't need to stop. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so we're going to continue to sow generously. And, and there's times we have to say, hold on. But God is continuing to open the doors. And you get to play a part, and you have played a part for years. And so blessings to you, and thank you this morning for that. We love you, and we're grateful that you're a part of our family. And I appreciate you letting me come and spend a little time with you this morning. Um, Let's, let's sing a song together. Obviously, uh, you may have uh, things in your life that need to be dealt with, that can be dealt with through the body of Christ. That we can show you love this morning. Let us show you love uh, if you need to make a change this morning. Let's, let's come now while we stand and sing.